Hey guys, we're so excited to share this message with you on the Center Set podcast. My name is Ethan and I lead worship here at Center Set. We'd love for you to download our app so that you can keep up with all that is happening in our community. Text Center Set to 77977 to download. Good morning, good morning. Who is excited for church? If we have not met, my name is Alian. My wife and I, we planted this crazy place called Bold Church four years ago. And for those of you that are new, let me just kind of give you a high-level vision or why as a church. We wanted to create a place, listen, where not only Christians could come and passionately, we are a loud church, come on, where you can passionately grow in your faith, but you, for those of you that are new to church, you can explore your faith. If you have questions, if you have doubts, this is a place where you can belong long before you believe in. Uh, sorry for the echo. Um, but... Uh, one of the things that I, my wife and I would love to do is we love to bring outside voices that will help build the house. Uh, and it's hard because uh, my wife's a great communicator. I'm not a humble brag. I'm a good communicator. <laughs> Am I allowed to do that? I don't know. I just did it. But one of the things my mentor told me, he's like, when you bring an outside speaker, you got to bring someone better than you. And it's, it's hard to do that. And today we're doing that. And uh, I want to welcome you, a f- longtime friend. He was actually a he spoke at a camp that my church went to about a decade ago. And there are people in the room that you know him and you've been fed by him and you are excited to see him. Uh, he's a pastor of a church plant. I'm, most of my friends are church planters because crazy people know crazy people. <laughs> right? Whenever you have a family reunion, all those weird relatives sit at that one table. And church planners are the same way. Whenever we go to a conference, whenever we go to a church event, all the church planners kind of know each other. And so I, I, this man is a church planner with his wife, him, is Jules and Lonnie, sorry, Moore, in the Father's House in Oakland, an amazing church. They planted, guess this, three weeks before COVID. Crazy. And they're thriving and growing because God's a good God. Amen. And so I want to bring up Pastor Jules and honor him. Where ah, here you go. There you are. <laughs> What's up, man? Let me quickly pray for you, bro. And uh, we are excited to hear the word of God from you. Uh, Lord, speak. Because we're ready. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. <laughs> awesome. Hey, let's make some noise for your pastors. They are incredible people. Seriously. Uh, man, I love this church and I love what God's doing. Uh, anyone that's willing to pivot, pivot, pivot. <laughs> Uh, you get mad respect. Uh, but uh, Pastors Ali and Yasmin, I did feel something very, very clear, just kind of felt like the Lord just lead me just to share. And this may sound very unique, but you guys have some amazing pastors and leaders. Yeah. Um, and uh, you got a Gideon and a Deborah. That's what I felt like the Lord both got called into war, but two different ways. Um, and Pastor Ali, I just felt like you were in that, that place of, of discomfort, like trying to stick a, around peg in a square hole or however that works. I don't know, geometry or <laughs> shapes, clearly. Uh, but I felt like when the Lord called you, even in the context in which you're in, and you've already gone through the sifting that Gideon had to go through till he was completely in, in utter deficit, but God was like, now you're more than adequate. And I really felt like the Lord was just saying that don't misinterpret the stripping that it was your fault but that the Lord use it to position you so that when you go to battle and you're carrying the fire because you haven't lost the fire in the middle of all of the devastation and all of this stuff, that you'll be known that God was with him, even with a few. And for Yasmin, I just felt like that spirit of Deborah, there's something else that's coming in you. It is a different platform that the Lord wants you to articulate what he's done in you in previous seasons and in this season. And I really felt like the Lord was just saying songs and books. 
I don't know if you sing or not. Maybe I'm just judging because your name is Yasmin. That sounds like a uh, gospel R&B artist, but I just really felt like the Lord just says that it was a new platform. Deborah would not go to battle, but the men said, we will not go to battle with you. So there was a position and a place that God said, hey, I want you to step in and fulfill. And in the middle, in the middle of all of that, she called a whole generation of women to take their place. She said, coming in my tent. Remember the girl was like, coming in my tent and stabbed the dude with the tent peg? <laughs> See, that's some Game of Thrones stuff right there. Y'all didn't know the Bible get down like that. That's like, coming in my tent. So anyway, receive that. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to jump into the word. That was a little prophetic. You're like, what the heck are you saying? That's cool. We still get down. We knew church, but we still can get down with the gifts. We can still get down with the gifts. Uh, if you guys are here with me for the first time, my name is Jules. I know that defies all stereotypes right there. A large black dude named Jules. You're like, wait, what? And we keep it new age. My wife, her name is Lonnie, is unisex. You don't know who you're getting. You thought a tall white woman was going to come up here. And then you're like, that's different. That's different. No, uh, we do get the luxury and the privilege of, of planting a church in uh, the Father's house. And right before we got here, we dunked a couple of people and, and baptized them. Some people just came to faith. So the church is growing. We're healthy. We're healthy. And so uh, my wife, uh, she helps pastors and leads and do all of that stuff. So I'm very honored. We have two little girls, Viviana and Eliana. Thank God they're not here with us right now. They're with grandma. That just changed the dynamic. We love our kids. It just changes the dynamic. You know what I'm saying? Just changes the car ride. Uh, but we're good. They're amazing. They've helped us plant the church. They've had more faith than we did in seasons. I kid you not. Uh, they've had more moments where they were like, Dad, God told you to do that. You should do that. And then they're eating Play-Doh. You're like, God spoke through you. Uh, you guys are in a series, Think Like a Monk. Is that what it is? Think Like a Monk? So I'm all into like, like making sure that our mind is clear. Uh, one of my favorite verses of scripture is Romans 12, let your mind be renewed. You'd be able to prove the perfect and pleasing will of God. That's one of my favorite verses. Um, and so today, what I want you to look at, and I want you to look throughout Scripture, is I want to change. I want you to think like Christ. And a part of thinking like Christ is the way that you view your pain and the way you view your discomfort. And we live in a world right now that is full of ideals. Like, everyone's an expert. Be careful when everyone you listen to is an expert, but they don't have a life. Like, they're an influencer, like, that's the part that we're living in a different world where it's like, everybody's an influencer. Your grandma's an influencer, you know. And it's like, you're speaking into relationships, but you broke down, busted, you know, don't got a job, living in your mama's basement, playing World of Warcraft. But you're an expert on this. And um, But what you're really experiencing is this. It's a, it's a man, you, you may not. ADHD, HBO, Cinemax, Hulu, all of that. But what I'm saying is, is this, is because we are in such a deficit of fathers and mothers, that position of authority has been replaced with influencers. So what happens is you have an inflated view of yourself and what you're supposed to do, right? It's like, man, I'm just the stuff. Like, can't swipe left on this. You know what I'm saying? Shoot. And what I want to do is today is I don't want our ideals to be superimposed on Christ to where that our ideals become our idols. If we're not careful, we'll create a false religion. And many people have done that and they never last long. But there's something very simple and something very beautiful of following the teachings of Jesus. 
because it's transformative. It yeah. outlasts time. It outlasts. Uh, it, 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 it surpasses the constructs and all of the crazy things that we have going on in our world because it was truth-based. It was rooted in your identity in God. And so we're going to read a few verses of Scripture, uh, but I want to challenge the way that you think. I don't want your ideals to become idols that keep you idle, stop you from making decisions. So we're going to read a few verses of Scripture, and if you're taking notes, you can call it Ideal, Idol, and Idol, or we'll figure out what the title is, but we'll get down to the goods. James chapter 1, it says this, uh, believers in humble circumstance ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation. This already sounds contradictory to what we believe and know and do right there. Since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossoms, fall, uh, falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test of time, that person will receive the crown of life. And the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. The devil did it. My mama issued. No. It's you. The temptation is coming from you. He says, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted. And when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed, then after desire has conceived. He's using some technical terms that you may have learned in sixth grade. This is the art of procreation. And he says that when desire and temptation an opportunity give you this perfect equation and you become intimate with your desire and your temptation you are pregnated with pain and once you are pregnated with pain you give birth to trauma many of you may have experienced this but what he's saying is is this then after it gives birth and it's full grown and it's living in your basement it gives birth to death <laughs> don't be deceived my my dear brothers and sisters every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows or what we do in the shadows or whatever you scream. He says, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruits of all he created. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today and we ask, Lord, that, Lord, all of our idols or our ideals that have robbed us, that have brought paralysis and decisions, that have isolated from taking that job out of insecurity or avoided stepping into that relationship because of brokenness or, or seeing the way that you see us as sons and daughters. We pray, Lord, that you would become number one and we want to think like you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Have, have any of you ever gone through like a life crisis? Like you just went through something traumatic. Like you couldn't wait to a midlife. You had to have a quarter life crisis. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm just going to expedite this process. Probably in my early 20s, I had a crisis of faith of everything. I realized that even as a pastor at that point in time, somehow I had exchanged, superimposed other people's ideals onto my life. And it became very foggy and weird. Like it was hard to disassociate who was Jesus and what was religion. Because sometimes you get so familiar with religion that they almost seem synonymous. And then you're debunking your faith and you're not really debunking, you know, Jesus. You're debunking American church. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. But it was hard to be able to figure that out. And I started making decisions based on what I interpret or believed other people's ideals for my life. To the point I was about to walk down an aisle with somebody I wasn't in love with. 
And I was doing all of the right things, but for the wrong motivations. It's amazing that you can do all of the good things, the right things, but if the motivation is impure, you kind of hit this moment where your soul begins to idle out and you don't have any more gas left in the tank to continue to move forward. And so you're like, man, I got the career, I got the wife, I got the kids, I got the thing, I got the, the, the motorhome, I, I got the Harley. I, I, don't, I don't know who this person is. <laughs> and my life seems ideal on paper, but my soul is in standstill. And with James, the half-brother of Jesus, that lived and grew up with perfection, begins to come to a church in the midst of struggle and going through trial. And he says, maybe the reason why you feel this way is because you're defining perfection all wrong. Maybe perfection is not a position, it's a person. Do you know perfection? Or are you just pretending to be perfect? He goes on to be able to address one of probably the biggest issues of our soul in this current generation whether millennial or Gen X or Z or that Pepsi commercial that tried to define what we were. You remember that Pepsi? Like, you're Gen X. I don't remember. Sorry. (laughs) But there's something that's really going on underneath the hood because we have become obsessed with perfectionism. And we've gotten so good that we can fake like we're real and be perfect at the same time. (laughs) Right? Like... Pastors, we get weird, too, because sometimes we're like, we got to be vulnerable so that we can show that you can be vulnerable, but we still need to be perfect. (laughs) It's like, wait, what? Everybody's pursuing their authentic selves, but they're doing it apart from God. So if he is the creator, how can you truly pursue your most authentic self? And so James begins to confront this deep, deep, deep issue that that really tweaks us all. Because you get to a certain age and you have kids, you're like, my kids aren't ideal. And then you have to deal with that, that weird thing that you've superimposed on your children. You realize, well, maybe I'm not educated enough because I feel like I'm constantly hustling and grinding and they're doing half the work that I'm doing, but yet they're getting all the accolades. What's the difference? What's wrong with me? How do I celebrate? What, what, something is broken in me. You may be addicted to perfection. So Jesus gives us refuge for our souls. And the, some of the issues that we struggle with as Americans and first world problems that other people may not be dealing with, praise God for them. So James begins to say those that are rich will struggle being obsessed with the things that fade away so fast. You see, most of us in the world, when I say rich, you're like, that ain't me. (laughs) Bruh, I drove up in a Tesla, that ain't me. I drove up in a Corolla, that ain't me. Corollas are one of the best cars. (laughs) You're very rich. Just contextually. Probably about 75% of all of the world's cars are in first world countries, let alone in America. Come on. People strive to make $5 a day, and we work at home through Zoom. You're rich. Come on. I'm rich, <laughs> to quote the great Dave Chappelle. <laughs> but you don't think that way. And that's how you fall into deception. Because you always think you need more. Nothing is ever enough. And that's the thing that robs us when we stop thinking like Jesus. 
You know, in 1989, there was two uh, psychiatrists, psychologists. Uh, one was by the name of Hewitt, and I'll give you the other guy's name, uh, Flett and Hewitt. They had no other option but to be psychiatrists and psychologists, <laughs> the last name like that. But they started to identify something, especially in America and Canada, and they started to, to come to these conclusions that we were becoming more and more obsessed with uh, perfection. And they thought by 2029 that 50% of the world's population or first world countries would begin to struggle with this. But we expedited that. We blew out those statistics like 10 years ago. But they began to define there was three types of perfection. And I want you to try these on and see if they fit. Go into the proverbial you know, gap curtain and try these jeans on and see if they fit. The perfection that they began to identify was three. The first one was self-oriented perfectionism. This was an irrational desire to be as perfect as you possibly could. So it was just like you had to fix your life, control, begin to restrain, constrain your life so that you could be as perfect as possible, really focus on yourself, get the self-help, get the guru, get the you know, Pilates, get all of those things. This is all about you being perfect. The second orient orientation or second type of perfection was socially prescribed perfection. This is where it was externally put on you. Where people like, you need to be better. You need to get more. You need to do that. You need to do this. You should do this. You should try him. You should try her. You should try them. You should try all of them. Oh, it's a whole smorgasbord. I mean, anyway, <laughs> socially prescribed perfectionism. Where they judge me harshly, so I have to be better for them to accept me. You can find this in religion, you can find this in your job, you can find this in your family. This is socially prescribed perfectionism. The third one is this, is our perfection, our version of perfection. This is where we begin to assume so much of ourselves and we begin to think perfectionism on them. So we're like, you should come to my Bible study because if you came to my Bible study, your, Bible be a lot, your life will be a lot better because I'm perfect and if you just learn from me, you too could be perfect. And this is when we begin to superimpose unrealistic expectations on ourselves. So we think so much of ourselves. So we feel like the world should add up to what we expect of ourselves. And then they never do. So then you're always frustrated with them. And that's why no guy is good enough for you. Man, this sucks. <laughs> and we see this so much in our high school students. Depression and anxiety. And it seems like the more we get, the less happier we are. Except for Swedes. I don't know what they did. They figured it out. <laughs> but there's something broken. And God doesn't want you to live in that brokenness. Yeah. He wants you to find peace and grace and goodness in the midst of all that you're going through. And he wants you to not superimpose perfectionism onto yourself. He wants perfectionism to live inside of you. Yeah. And become more fixated not on what you should do better, but knowing him more. And the more you love and worship him, the more you become like him. Yeah. You don't sin because you don't want to do something wrong. You, you don't sin because you're in relationship with God. Yeah. I don't cheat on my wife because, like, it's, it's not only just a bad thing, but I never want to break her heart because the relational bond is there. So if me picking up my draws is going to make her happy, Draws or underwear, sorry. <laughs> Family's from Louisiana, so pardon my French. But here's, here's what we want to do today, what we want to unpack. God's best isn't good enough when our ideals become our idols. Wow. God's best isn't good enough when our ideals become our idols. Now, I'm not talking about the little pudgy man that you have that you throw pennies and cheese at. I'm talking about an idol is something that you've put beyond and above God. And believers can do it, and we're actually really good at it. 
because we can dress it up to not look like an idol, but it's our ideals. So how do we address this whole thing about perfectionism? Perfectionism is this. It's our unwillingness and inability to recognize the good in ourselves, our accomplishments, or others. Now, for some of you that have been around the camp of Christian and, and for a while, you're like, there's nothing good in us. We're all evil, set up to burn in hell forever, brother. <laughs> I don't know why you're like macho man Randy Savage, but... But we know, apart from the grace and the goodness of God, we're not good. But when God made Adam and Eve, he said, it is good. God give you capacity, and in your most redeemed state, your gifts and abilities are not only used for you, but they're used for God. So there was something that God put inside of you that his says his grace is good. His, it's, his grace is available even without repentance. His gift, his charisma is in you. So there are things that you can do apart from God that still gives you connection to God. You ever been to a Dave Matthews Band concert, and you were like, the Holy Spirit is here, but you know Holy Spirit is not there. <laughs> I like Dave Matthews, and so I'm like, John Mayer plays on his guitar. You're like, man, he is anointed to play, but he could be completely in sin. The gifts are without repentance. So there's something that God's put inside of you. And imperfection is the unwillingness to accept, this is from God. He put it in me. How do I partner with him? Man, you are probably some of the smartest in our world. You may not feel that way, but many of you have moved cross-country to take on jobs and positions of leadership, and some of you, you're right now in the, 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 the crosshairs of transition and change and what you are going through, and if the enemy can come and literally allow your ideals to be put above God, you'll make bunk decisions for all the wrong reasons. You'll make those connections. You'll start those relationships, but something has to change on the inside so that God can take you where he wants to. So where do we get this whole thing of perfection? Some of it is spiritual and some of it is practical. To be super quick, some of it is just we were born into this. Adam and Eve, the reason why they disobeyed God was a sense of perfectionism. They thought God was withholding something from them. So they're like, I need to have more. I can't have enough. You're in the garden. You got God. You naked. No shame. We've all passed by the mirror and like, oh, there's a little shame. There's a little shame there. I know we're in a positive, positive body image thing, but you know, Christmas is still with me from 1992. It's still there. The Bible says they were naked with no shame. They are working. They are walking with God. They are in perfect harmony with God, but perfection was not enough. So they were like from the only tree they shouldn't. They had basil. They had oregano. They, they had all of these things they could have eaten from, but they were like, no, something is being withheld. I have to have that one thing. And that same thing lives in us. I got I to gotta have that one thing. You're like, you got it. No, it's not enough. Some of it is from your helicopter parents. They were just all over your life. <laughs> you need to do better. Not good enough. You're like, mom, I'm sorry. I got a B plus in biochemistry, economics, fortitude. I don't know. <laughs> Public school, okay? I don't know. But they're like, not enough. You're like, why? You could do better. I know you can do better. I'll do better. So we have this spiritual battle of perfectionism that struggles with. We have this practical battle. It has created an ecosystem of so much devastation and harm for our souls. And then we come into Christendom and we come into Christianity and we're following Jesus. And we're like, I'm seeing the lyrics. Yeah, I give him all the glory. I want to lift my hands. Oh, I'm not supposed to have sex. Oh, I'm not supposed to have to do this. Ha, ha. 
That's not what James is talking about. He's saying every good and perfect gift comes from above. You won't find perfection here. It's in heaven. And heaven revealed perfection through the life of Christ. And perfection wants to live in you. What perfection does, it focuses on the gaps and not on the gains. Perfection, it creates idols in our life. It idols, it creates paralysis. We get stuck because we're scared we're going to make the wrong decision. And it creates idols, things that we put above God, competition in an unrealistic race. But what's God's remedy to this toxic way of living? That clock is not moving. I don't know how much time I have. Make that clock move. That's all I got to (laughs) say. First thing we need to get is God's definition of a perfect life. It says this in verse 9, believers in a humble circumstance ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like the wildfire. For the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers the plant, the blossom falls, and his beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. What James says is this, poverty is not a perfect life. Isn't that a weird mantra right now? Like we're like, with less, this is a perfect life. I have a toilet, I have a brush, I got nothing else. I'm just gonna get in my van down by the river. And right now there's all these influencers like, this is a perfect life, nothing. You're homeless, you're a vagabond. Remove all, that was a deep word, a vagabond. Yeah, it was like, vagabond. You remove all the trappings of American society. That's just the man trying to get you down. Free, it's a perfect life. I don't know why Nacho Libre came out right there. It's a perfect life. Now you already died out. (laughs) You got a dog named Biscuit and you're by yourself. It's a perfect life. Or the other part of that same spectrum, you have everything. You have all the possessions, all that you can account for. You need nothing from the world. James says, neither one of those are a perfect life. He says, both of those extremes have to deal with humiliation. One of them has to deal with not having anything, but in the midst of having nothing, you still have God. And for the one that is rich to not be consumed by what you have, realizing the greatest deficit of your soul is the need for God. So he says, for those that are poor, you're free. You're not stuck on those trials. You ain't got nothing. You need God. For the one that has everything, you have everything. But it's not enough. You need God. This is the great balancer outer that the gospel does for us. No matter whether in prosperity or in poverty, Jesus meets us where we are. And he says a perfect life is not defined by what you have or what you don't have. It's standing the test of trials. Perfection is a process. Because perfection, the way that you get that perfect diamond when you bend the knee and you say, will you? And you submit that ring, she goes, it's perfect. Look. It's perfect. You're like, I got the perfect guy. I got the perfect ring. And all the married people are like. 
it's a cubic and so is he. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Sorry. He fake too. No. No, what will really define the value and the significance of that relationship is the ability for them to walk through trials together. Because in that process of walking together through trials, God begins to rub off and refine. And just like that perfect diamond, God allows intensity in the forging of heaven to earth, that impounding of heaven touching earth, and that impacting begins to rub off all of the trauma and the pain and the things that you walk through and all of those hurts because perfection is now coming from above to earth to live in you. My wife and I, we laid in bed one day. Not that that's like an uncommon thing. We try to do that, we try to lay in bed every night and go to sleep. But we were laying in bed and uh, we were having this conversation. Stop, stop. I was trying to be good, man. I was trying to be good. We were having this conversation and we were like, do we love each other more now than we did when we said I do? And, you know, for me, that's like your time. Like any husbands in the room, like that's your time to spit game. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Every day, I love you more and more, girl. You got your headscarf on? God. If you don't know about headscarves, YouTube that. But we both came to this conclusion. We were like, I love you more because we've overcome more now. Like our roots are deeper. Like, I know I've changed. I know I'm less perfect than when we started. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> there's more of me, but it's not as perfect. <laughs> but I love you more than when we started. Because we've stood trials together. And we started, those trials revealed more of God in us. And what James is saying is, that's a perfect life. Perfect life is a life that can stand trials and keep trusting God. You see, a perfect life is a faithful, it's a steadfast life. It's saying, God, I'm here, I'm available. I wrote this down. A perfect life is a life that experienced trials but partners with God in his process of perfection. A follower of Jesus looks at failure not just as weakness but as an area of our souls revealing its deep need for God's grace and truth. So when we begin to lay aside our ideals of perfectionism, what we're really doing is we're taking on God's revelation of the gospel and how we are all falling short of his perfection and we need God. And by taking on that mentality, when we fail, we're not even scared to fail. We are free because we know I'm going to fail. I'm going to step out and trust God. And I don't know if this is the best or the right, but my attentiveness, my focus, I am preoccupied with God. I'm seeking first his kingdom. So if I step out and I fail, it's not some crazy revelation that I'm not the most perfect person in the world. I knew that before I made the decision. The game changer is this. God can use every failure for his grace to touch and reveal more of him. Some of you, it's probably time for you to start dating. You're like, man, I know that boyfriend from 1982 to mess you up like Vietnam. 
probably time to step out in faith. There are good guys in the world. Some may be in this room. I'm just saying. Some of us right now, starting that business, maybe what God's calling you to do, and it's never going to be perfect. And if you wait for perfection, you'll never see it. Because perfection doesn't come from here. It comes from above. The second thing is this. Perfectionism is a form of godliness. Don't blame God for your dysfunctional behavior. That's what James is saying. He's saying, hey, the temptation and desire for perfection, to have all of these things, to want more than what you need right now, that is from your own wicked souls. Boo. He says, don't blame God. Stop. This is you. Why do you need more shoes? Why, why is the car not good enough now? It's the temptation in our hearts. You see, there will be this temptation to pursue a perfect life. But is it God's definition? Or is it a perfect life without God? Isn't that what Adam and Eve struggled with? We want all of God, but without him. We want all the knowledge. We want to last forever. Isn't that what we... Man, this is crazy. You think this Bible is true. <laughs> We have more information than we've ever had before, more podcasts, more influences, more communicators, more TED Talks, more Eric Talks, more Susan Talks, more Sally Talks. And every day there's a new drug being released to make your life last longer. Get rid of them wrinkles. Cryogenically infuse your body with ice to make the fat disappear. I'm like, it's crazy. Which is these two great deficits that happened in the garden when they were with perfectionism himself you would think that this thing was real. But temptation is not from God. It's our desires. A life yielded temptation leads to ruin. It's a trap to chase the bag. So James is saying, it says this in 1 Timothy 3, it says, this also know that in the last days, perilous times will come. It says bad stuff's going to happen. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedience to parents. I love how they threw that in there. These little bad kids. This is the end times. Kids are bad. <laughs> Unthankful, unholy, without natural affections, truce breakers, false accusers, incontent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of perfection, wow. but denying the power thereof. Wow. From such, turn away from them. The emphasis is in Jesus and the message of the gospel that every weakness needs to experience the resurrection power of Christ. I must die so that he may live. You trade your ideals, your idols, and the idling decisions that you expect out of life for his perfection. And in that exchange that trade-off it is one of the most challenging transitions of life to say god you have my life but when you do that peace himself lives within you you know the bible says that peace the peace from god surpasses all understanding a couple of nights ago we were out in our backyard hanging out with some friends we live in oakland just he said town business, I appreciate it. We live in Oakland. 
I'm just going, that's a preface, because you got all of your own, like, stuff about Oakland. You're like, Raiders, crazy, whatever. <laughs> and we live in the hilled. The hilled is, the hood is right there, and the hills are right there. So we're, like, right in the middle. We don't like to make it pretentious or anything. We like to keep it right in the middle. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's a little bit of gun violence and a little bit of bougie. That's how we roll. We're sitting in the backyard, and out of nowhere, I see a skunk, like Pepe Le Pew himself, has crept into our backyard. And I'm like, yo, there's a skunk. And my friends are like freaking out. They're like, what the heck? We in Oakland. Skunks be in Oakland. And I'm like, True story. And my wife just sits there. And I'm like, babe, get out of there now. Now, if it was a bee, my wife would literally backflip somersault Jackie Chan out of that thing. Parkour. But for some reason, she had peace that surpassed all understanding. I thought that was the best visual. When you have Christ, you can be in one of the most funkiest situations, literally or figuratively. And while everyone is running around, trying to find safety, my wife kept saying, if I don't freak out, he won't freak out. He's only going to spray me if he's scared. I don't know if that's for a thug. I don't know if I would take that. <laughs> you only going to spray me if you're scared. <laughs> but the principle remains the same. When you make the exchange for your ideals for God, you don't have to run exhausting yourself or your spouse. You don't have to superimpose some unrealistic expectations on your kids. You get to live in free and find peace. And while everyone is running, chasing their own ideals, you remain unaffected, worshiping the only one that is perfect. What James says is this. Perfection only comes from God. Just don't be deceived. That means don't ignore truth. The enemy cares more about you being deceived than anything else. Deception is when you believe a lie is true and you double down on that lie. He says, don't be deceived. My dear brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word that we might become first fruits for all he created. He says this, don't be deceived. Perfection can only come from God. It can come from swiping. It can't come from investing. It can't come from relocating. It can't come from decisions. If it's too good to be true, the question you should ask is, where did it come from? Is that from God? How do you remove the idleness of your soul to make a decision? Ask yourself, does this have some heavenly significance and earthly significance? See, whenever God does a decision or a moment of faith, it has eternal purposes and earthly purposes. Because he is always about bridging that perfection can then touch and embrace the imperfect, restoring it. So if you're about to make that decision and they got a bunch of zeros tapped onto that decision, that sounds like a good decision, but is it a God decision? Is this just going to make your life more cushiony? Great. But what eternal significance does it have? Is someone going to experience the kingdom of God? Is this going to make a more clear representation of Jesus on that school campus? See, my wife has forced me to watch this show. If I can have the band come up. Those two things go together. 
What's the name of that show where the lady, the, the guru, the love guru, what's her name? They bring the couples together. Indian matchmaker. Y'all watch this craziness? It's wild. There's a lot going on. It's addictive. But there was one gal, and she was like, I just have this expectation of my life that if I'm this perfect, he needs to be even more perfect. And I just looked at her, I was like, girl, you ain't going to never find nobody. <laughs> they got face readers, and they got all kinds of stuff going for them. And I just was like, man, how often do I do that? Man, I keep superimposing my ideals on what God's doing. And what happens is this. I become more and more dissatisfied with what I have. I become more and more dissatisfied with who I have. Whenever I, I begin to live and set up camp there, I focus on the gaps and I miss out on the gains. God doesn't want you to think like a monk. He wants you to think like a believer. He wants you to think like a son and a daughter. And I'm constantly trying to convince my kids, be grateful for God has given you so much. But when we become so obsessed with our version of perfectionism, we always focus on what we don't have. This morning, as we begin to close, I just wanna encourage you, don't be deceived. Don't allow perfectionism to ruin and rob your marriage and rob your family. Don't be caught up with the lust of relocating that you negotiate out of yourself, negotiate yourself out of what God is doing right now. And some of you, you've just been so overwhelmed that you cannot move forward. The remedy to that is gratitude. God, thank you that you've given me a job. God, thank you for my wife that love. God, thank you for the family. God, thank you for the kids. God, thank you, Holy Spirit. God, I honor you. And when you begin to move into an attitude of thankfulness, begins to change your confession and change the way that you think, you stop that 12-inch gap from what you're thinking to get into your heart and comes out of your mouth, but you start thinking like God and you begin to say, Lord, what do you want to do? You mind bowing your heads and closing your eyes this morning? Two groups of people. Number one, if you're far away from, from, from Jesus and you need to reestablish that relationship with him. In just a moment, Pastor Ali is going to come and transition us and tell us about our next steps. But I do believe that God is showing you today that he wants to be in your life. And this is a great church to connect and be a part with. And the second group of people, you would say, hey, Pastor Jules, man, I've been struggling with this whole thing. And I've put idols or I've idled out my life or I've been just seeking the idea. I just want to make a quick prayer that I think all of us can jump in with this. And this is making an exchange to say, God, I'm repenting. I'm apologizing. I'm letting go. And I want you to take lead. Would you be so bold and willing to pray this prayer with me? Say, Father, I let go. Forgive me. Wash me. I surrender my life. Have your way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God wants to bring restoration to our souls. And I believe that what God is doing in this church is so amazing and strong. And I just believe that, I just wanna pray one more time for you guys. Father, thank you for this house. 
And we just pray right now, Lord, all of our idols and ideals would be let go. We lay them before you and we put you in your rightful place as king, as father, as the only one that governs our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope this message impacted you and inspires you to draw closer to Jesus. Subscribe to this podcast and give us a follow on Instagram at Centerset Church to keep up with all that God is doing in our community. Also, we'd love to be in prayer with you. If you have any prayer requests, please send them to info at centerset.church.